You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and this episode is hosted by Ryan. We are pleased to present to you three dynamic women who are the authors of the new book, Feminist AF, A Guide to Crushing Girlhood. The women behind the book are the members of the Crunk Feminist Collective. That includes Brittany Cooper, Susanna M. Morris, and Chanel Craft Tanner. Brittany Cooper is the Associate Professor of Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at Rutgers University and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Eloquent Rage, a black feminist discovers her superpower and is the co-founder of Crunk Feminist Collective. Susanna M. Morris is an Associate Professor of Literature, Media, and Communication at the Georgia Institute of Technology. She is the co-editor with Brittany C. Cooper and Robin M. Borland of the anthology The Crunk Feminist Collection, and she's the co-founder of The Crunk Feminist Collective. And Chanel Craft Tanner serves as director of the Center for Women of Emory, where she earned her PhD in women's gender and sexuality studies. As director, her work focuses on creating programs, events, and learning opportunities that recognize and redress historic and persistent gender inequity at Emory and beyond. She's a member of the Crunk Feminist Collective and is passionate about class oppression, prison abolition, and black feminism. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast with the Crunk Feminist Collective. Welcome to the Black Girl Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And for all the ladies, particularly all the Black women and women of color, today's focus for this episode is going to be about feminism. You know, as the world shifts, you know, as we shift with it, feminism, what does that mean? What is a feminist? So I think this is so cool to have these um, lovely, intelligent women with me today that are the authors of Feminist AF. And you guys have to check this out. It will have you talking at the Waller Cooler, trying to figure out what crunk feminism is. Like, it is it is crazy. So I am joined by uh, Brittany Cooper. She is the associate producer, associate professor of women's gender and sexuality studies at Rutgers University. I got Susanna Morris. She is the associate professor of literature, media, and communication at the Georgia Institute of Technology. And Chanel Tanner serves as the director of the Center for Women at Emory University. Ladies, how are you? Thank you for joining me. We're well. Thank you for yeah, having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Okay, so I'll start out. Susanna, I'm just, I'm not picking on you. I'm just gonna start with you first. And you know, Chanel, Brittany, feel free, <laughs> feel free to jump in. But Susanna, what give us like a definition for people that think it's a negative connotation to being a feminist? What is a feminist? Well, the thing about feminism is I I think the reason it has this negative connotation is because 
particularly for people of color and for Black folk in particular, there's this idea that it, it, it was invented by white women. And so we really want to dispel that myth, right? Uh, Black women have always had a feminist movement and we've always been involved in feminism. So let's start off there. But I just want to pull from uh, the definition that we give in the book in Feminist Day Up. So feminism, we define as a social movement instead of beliefs that aims to tear down the system of male domination known as the patriarchy. Ideally, mm. this movement is also anti-racist and anti-elitist. So again, it's the stuff that Black women, Black non-binary folk, gender expansive folk, we've always been doing this. This is our shit. Can I swear? Oh, yes, please, please do, because we're going to do that going into this. Like, you guys have no idea. Like, I was so excited. I should have started this off the top. I was so excited to talk to you guys after rem- uh, reading Feminist AF, because there's so many topics you don't think about and just so many topics you don't, some people are afraid to talk about. So, yeah, we definitely going to have some swearing going on on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Chanel, did you want to add anything to it? Oh, I'm sorry, Susanna, you good? I want to cut you off. You in the zone. Oh, no, that's it. Go ahead. No, I, I think that I think what Susanna is saying is absolutely right. And so for many people, they think that the lineage of black how black feminists thought started or black feminist practice started is because, you know, we were active in the feminist movement and white women weren't doing us right. And so we like were like, nah, like we not having it and we went and organized our own thing. That's not true. Uh we were organizing around um, our experiences as women since the beginning of time. In the book, we start the history with Mariah Stewart, who was preaching in the 1800s, you know, and so we just have had a separate road to feminism. And actually, you know, Black women were active in, yes, women's rights organization, and also in civil rights organizations. And in both spaces, they were seeing things that weren't quite right and organizing around those efforts and around their identities as Black women and what matters to our lives. And so a part of what this book does is correct that history and then also give you the, you know, it's, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting scam calls. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I'm sorry, because then you get real nervous because the, the iPhone thing, I don't know what to hit. I don't know what to hit. <laughs> listen, 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 you good, you good. You press the right button, you good, you good. Uh, okay, I'm back. Look, they trying I'm to warn your feminist off. speech. Go ahead, don't try to cut her off iPhone. Let her do her thing. <laughs> no, iPhone won't let me be great. That's the patriarchy. You see how the patriarchy- See that? Coming through your iPhone. Middle. It's That's a trip. Coming through the iPhone. But anyway, you know, <laughs> that we just we actually have a different um, lineage uh, than the one that is that is popular. So when people, you know, try to tell us that, like, that's white women stuff, we know the history. We know the truth that, you know, our Black feminist foremothers have been doing this for a really, really long time. Um, the other thing that I wanted to point to that we say in the book, it actually made it to the flap of the book, is feminism is fun. It makes life better. Don't believe it when people tell you that feminists hate men. Don't believe it when they tell you that we ruin all the fun. Don't believe it when they say we are only angry. Our lives are filled with so much joy, passion, and purpose. And that's the truth about feminism. Right. And you know what you and what you mentioned too about fun here. Tell me why you ladies wanted to come together to write this, because why did you feel it was a moment where you like, OK, we need to give the definition of feminist. We need to show them there's a different way to look at this because you guys bring so many different elements to this book. Well, one thing, you know, when we got the opportunity to do this book is we were like, what would young Brittany, Chanel and Susanna have needed? Right. And what do the right. young people that we know in our lives what do they need right now? I mean, the, the reality is a lot of our young people already know about feminism. Not everybody, but a lot of them do, right? They have the internet, 
they Google, they're on Twitter, they're on Instagram and all right, of that. Yeah. But they needed kind of the conversation from a big sis, an auntie, you know, that's like, yo, let me actually give you some free game. Uh, this is how it really goes in terms of feminist friendships, how to deal with your parents, how to navigate dating, you know, all those kinds of things. So those conversations, you know, we might be having them in our 20s, 30s, 40s, et cetera, but really you need to start having those conversations when you're 13, 14, 15, and 16, right? And so that was one of the reasons why we wanted to get together and write this book, to share the knowledge you have and to be able to have these conversations with young people who are navigating all kinds of stuff in their lives. And I just want to, I want to kind of quote this from the book real quick, just for people out there listening and thinking, okay, they just writing another book to try to get us, you know, to believe yada, yada, you know, they just trying to throw this stuff out here. I want to read this because this one, this one got me when I read it. Okay. It says, we know there are a lot of self-help books you can read about how to love yourself. But the problem with all those books is that they never acknowledge why it is so hard for us to love ourselves in the first place is the patriarchy. Damn it. I love when I read that, when I read that line, I was like, it's, it's giving you a new feel and you guys bring a lot of personal stories to this book. What was it hard for you guys at some moments to kind of bring those personal stories into each chapter, the way you break it down? I would say, yeah, it was, it was incredibly difficult. We knew it was important, but because we wrote this as a how-to guide for you know, young girls and for, you know, our, our form, we were all black girls. We had to go back into those moments. And I don't think any of us would say we had easy girlhoods. I know for myself, my black girlhood wasn't one that I want for my daughter to, to be perfectly honest, the things that I had to witness and see and experience were just really difficult, but to get to the place where we can say, here's how to do a thing. And I read a lot of how to and self-help books and they always, you know, walk you through like, here's how to have a four hour work week, right? You have to go back to <laughs> yeah. it and kind of say like, this is what you have to do to do it. These are the things that I did. So we had to actually go back and, and sit in it. Like we had to be girls again and almost have to like relive some of that trauma in a way that, you know, so that we can say, well, here's the things that worked for me to get through it. We get that this is tough because it was tough for us too. But here are the ways that we were able to find joy, find community. Here's what our auntie said and did for us. And then to also have those conversations or, or to put on, put on paper those same kind of conversations that we had with the young people in our lives that, you know, they came to us in all kinds of states. Sometimes it's joy because they're experiencing their first crush. Sometimes it's pain because they're experiencing their first heartbreaks. And how do we help them navigate that? We had to put that in there. So yeah, being that vulnerable and being that open was 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 tough for me. Yeah. Uh, Brittany, thank you so much for joining. I want to kind of throw it to you a little bit here as we as we kind of dive into this anymore. Were there any kind of stories when you're just thinking about in general that were tough for you to share in the book when it comes to your story of how you just even found, um, you know, feminism or what it meant to be a feminist? Interesting. Thanks for the question. Um, you know, I think that we were super vulnerable on the page. And I think that a lot of it was, you know, me talking about um, dealing with a, a father who struggled with addiction and who was abusive and the way that that shaped my understanding um, of gender and, and caused me to trust black women, you know, and also made it so that I didn't initially really see the patriarchy at work because I just thought, well, black women run everything. Right. Right. And then, yeah. And then I learned, you know, 
that so much of like my father's choices and how he was moving in the world and the way that the men in our lives moved um, shaped why women needed to run everything and that there was a reason why that that was not an equitable distribution of labor that that was not fair to them and that it was often based out of like um struggle and and violence and fear and that we could you know build a world is what feminism says where where that doesn't have to be the case and where everybody can show up differently and not use gender as a context for uh for for being violent and terrible uh, and abusive to each other Right. And just the idea, too, along those lines of that I love that each of you touch on is the way you see yourselves as black women, um, whether it's, you know, your hair or what you just see in media. Sometimes we're, portray we're portrayed in a different way or that we have to fit some kind of norm. Um, Suzanne, I'm going to go back to you um, from the start here. What um, what are you hoping, I guess, um, just in that little bit of women just kind of looking at themselves different in the mirror and kind of questioning that that sentence of, oh, this is normal. You have to do this to be normal. What do you kind of want to say to those to those black women? What was what was your like goal and kind of writing some of that in this book? We, you know, what black feminism helps folks to see and what we would hope for people to get from this book is it's a liberatory practice. Right. So whether it's, you know, a mother, daughter reading the book together or two sisters or an aunt or, or you're reading it by yourself and you're a grown ass woman, you know, the way that things are, are not necessarily how they have to be, right? Uh, I saw something on Twitter today that was a picture of a sister with beautiful, thick, lush, 4 hair. And it was like six pictures of her. Like she had an updo. She had a little, you know, bayang to the side, swoop down. She had like a head wrap and, you know, six different iterations of her hair. And it was like, you know, which one of these is work appropriate? And then the person who had wow. tweeted it said all of them, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And obviously, right? But yet not that obvious. Many of us were raised to think, oh no, professional hair, professional black hair needs to be relaxed. It needs to be straightened. It needs to be pinned down. It needs to look like this and so on. But those are social constructs. That's not quote unquote natural, right? Those are things that we're taught, we're socialized to believe. And we can be untaught. We can undo that thinking and that logic. One, two, we can nip it in the bud. We can get you when you're 12 or 13 and say, actually, before you even start to really um, believe that and internalize that narrative about blackness and black hair and your body and so on, we can get you to kind of circumvent that, right? Or begin to challenge that within your own mind, right? So that's really one of the main things we want folks to be thinking of, both the young people reading and, and the grown folk who are looking at it, that the ways in which we have been taught to think about ourselves by the larger sort of white supremacist public, like that ain't it, sis. We don't have to believe that. Right, absolutely. Chanel, Brittany, you guys want to add anything to that? Sure. I mean, look, I think that Susanna has uh, ably said it uh, and, and that min in many ways we, we took great care to try to think about all of the different ways that black girls experience black girlhood. When right. we're talking about beauty and so we're talking about fat black girls, you know, I'm a fat black girl, so we wanted to represent whether we're talking about trans black girls, we're talking about black girls with disabilities, whether we're talking about light skinned black girls or biracial black girls. We wanted to say that all of these are a part of a girlhood experience. And even though this 
book really does center on black women and girls one of the arguments that we're trying to make is that having a better understanding about all of the different ways that black girls show up in the world makes feminism for all girls better and there's this weird thing that happens where folks sort of say like you know oh this is just a book for black girls and it's like this is a book that is unapologetically centered on the experiences of black girls and girls of color and we want to argue that in feminism we don't have to start with white girls and then add some color and stir what happens if we tell a feminist narrative from the perspective of black and brown girls who are also in their own ways figuring out how to challenge patriarchy and then that becomes the perspective from which any girl reading this text learns it and learns how to you know how to have a better conception or politics of gender and that's why we tried so hard to to sort of think robustly about you know, what black girls are we thinking about? What black girls are we talking to? Because we're, you know, we grew up working class black girls, right? So as I'm sure um, Suzanne and Chanel have shared. And so we're not talking to, you know, simply middle-class black girls or black girls from, you know, well-to-do homes. We're trying to reach any black girl that picks up this book. We want to make sure that she sees herself in it and in the conversation and knows that there's a political, you know, a set of politics, a political reality that actually um, speaks to her experience. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And Brittany, you want to you want to say I got to ask about crunk feminism and then I'm coming to Suzanne and Chanel for the for the add on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we uh, Susanna and I were at Emory together. Chanel was also there. Uh, we are a little a, a few years ahead of Chanel in our program and we coped with working on PhDs as first generation college graduates and first generation graduate students by going to the club. It was Atlanta. It was the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and that's that's our music. And so we wanted a feminism that was specific to our generation. We also wanted a, a feminism that was about our particular kind of hip hop because Joan Morgan had already coined the term hip hop feminism. And so we try to think about, well, what did that look like for us and the kind of hip hop music we like, which everybody was so quick to write off as being so deeply misogynist because it's booty shake music. Uh, and because it, you know, it very much is focused on kind of black women, uh, you know, as bodily creatures in some ways. And we wanted to say like, look, after we get crunk in class, by which we mean being like, you know, stop with your race racism, stop at your sexism, stop at your homophobia, then we're going to go to the club and actually, you know, shake that shit off. Like, um, and we think that all of that is a feminist practice. And so we can be feminists at the club when we refuse to dance to music that is like pro-rape or, you know, anti-consent. Um, and we can also be crunk in class when we say like, if you don't start none, won't be done. But conversely, if you don't give a damn, well, <laughs> we don't right. Like, you know, like that's, that's the music that, 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 and, and for me, it's like, that's also what I still listen to, to be quite honest with you, when I'm rolling into my job, like I'm still listening to very ratchet music because it helps me to get my mind right to confront whatever challenges I'm going to face that day, including Ooh. those of the, you know, white supremacist and sexist variety, so. Oh, well, see, you just gave me another question. I'm going to go to Chanel first, because I was going to ask, like, Chanel, Chanel, if you want to add to the crunk feminism, but I'm going to ask, because you guys have these cool little, like, sections that kind of enhance the material where you have, like, the playlist of feeling like a boss. So I was going to ask you to kind of give us your little, your, your top song in that and kind of add to the crunk feminism. I mean, okay, so in feeling <laughs> like a boss, I feel like this song is in there, but it's Remy Ma conceited. Um, I think that that's the song that if I'm trying to get bossed up, then that's what I'm, that's right. what I'm adding to it. Mm -hmm. um, 
I mean, I think the playlist is just so good. I mean, there's Bossy with Khalees. I think I think it's really just a, a dope, bossed up playlist. Um, to add to the crunk feminism piece, I would say for me, and, and also to your earlier question about kind of disrupting what, what's normal, I think what we've always been trying to do as a collective is normalize collectivity. I think we've seen for a long time that individualism will kill us. And so the more things that we can do together as a crew, even writing this book um, is an example of what collectivity looks like in practice. And so that's a part of what we're really trying to say is get you some homegirls. And we say it almost in every chapter of the book. If you want to crush girlhood, if you want to get through this stuff, you got to get you a crew and they got to be a good one. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I would add. Susanna, how about you? What you got? You want to add to the crunk playlist? <laughs> oh, she's I like, let me think about it. That I know. I'm thinking about it. I mean, like, the playlist is so good, and really anything could go in mm-hmm. it. But, you know, I don't know. I was listening to Casita. Chanel, you took my answer because I was listening to Casita <laughs> the other day. And I had to run it back a couple of times, and I really gave people a whole concert uh, at East Point. Georgia. You said for like conceited? People... That's a good yes. song. It's a this good song, that you, you know. To, out of the ordinary, right. unusual. Usual, I'm just mad. Yes. You gotta have a mindset. You know? Like I'm so great. That's a well, good song. Yes. You know, when she said, I'm sorry, I'm sexy. You know what I mean? I felt that deep in mm-hmm. my spirit. And yeah. So, <laughs> was really giving a whole concert and had to run it back so that's a great one because there we live in a world that's often trying to humble black girls and women you know take it down a notch with the butt of jokes in so many ways and don't have any other kind of issue going on or what people perceive to be an issue you're working class you're fat you're chronically ill you have a disability you're queer you're trans whatever then it's like oh we're gonna add some extra shit to the ways in which people try to humble you and black girls and women don't need to be humble Stand in your truth. You're the shit, girl. Right? Um, right that's perfect. That doesn't mean you're out here just treating people recklessly, but it's okay to love on yourself and to be out in the world kind of feeling like a boss, you know? And so that's why we're talking about crushing girlhood. It's not just surviving it or like making it through. We're talking about crushing it, right? Being a boss. Right. Absolutely. And look, I got to talk about another. Uh, topic here that I think you guys are gonna have to like you know uh, bring it back a couple times repeat this a little bit because it's such a um, an important conversation and a conversation that get brought up get brought up a lot that I don't think people go into detail a lot colorism in the black community um, that you guys hit on several topics here and you know sometimes you might not make I don't know if you know you you think about feminists and you go straight to colorism but I love the way you guys kind of break it down in the, in the sections here and just kind of talk about, um, I'll go back to you, uh, Brittany and kind of make my way back around again. The, what do you guys think are like some of the, the, the tips or the practices that could be done to kind of end this cycle that we have amongst each other? You know, part of what I think that, that we got to realize, you know, as it relates to colorism is simply that this is a tool of white supremacy and that unfortunately it is a it is a trick of white supremacy that our communities have often uh, internalized as being true and our strategy for it is to call it out and to name it and to say that skin tone has nothing to do with your value or worth we're all valuable and worthy and we're all beautiful however we show up however we do our thing and so we don't have to 
play these games. But we, we, you know, we weren't just thinking about that. You know, it's not just, you know, black communities that struggle with colorism. Uh, you know, South Asian communities also struggle with notions of colorism and typically value fairer skinned, you know, South Asian folk over darker skinned South Asian folk, depending on the country and context. Um, and so it's not just a black community problem. And I know that lots of folks want to sort of think about it and talk about it. Um, sometimes it is a conversation that, that irritates me because I think like, like many people, I just think we should be past it. I mean, we were talking about colorism when I was a girl, we were talking about colorism a hundred years ago, uh, but we've also got to, you know, work for feminism to actually change the world so that we stop the structural uh, concerns that value this. I, you know, for instance, recently, just this weekend, um, I saw a picture that someone had shared on Facebook and there was a little a dark-skinned Black girl who'd had a really great achievement uh, in school and she was holding her little sister who's a light-skinned girl. And so the person that posted the picture said, you know, congratulations to such and such for her great achievement in school. And woo, look at her little sister. Isn't she so pretty? And wow. I yeah. was like, oh no like this mm -hmm. is how this happens the you know the dark-skinned girl can be smart but not pretty and the light-skinned girl gets to be pretty and a narrative attached to her that she's beautiful but no one is thinking about her brains or her politics or her character right um and that's all our internalization of white supremacy and the notion that you know that what we want is to be valued and for so long we have been told that we are ugly and so we have you know, we've taken in this idea that if we can prove that we're closer to white supremacy, then we can make the argument that we're beautiful. Um, and, and, you know, to, to put it in Susanna's terms, I mean, that ain't it, sis. Like, white supremacy is not kind to any Black person, no matter what. And so once we stop trying to curry favor with white supremacy on the basis of skin tone, then we can spend our time not yelling at each other about hair texture, and skin tone and all of that and really start to think about how we going to tear down this world that has been built to keep us at each other's throats yeah and just um and susan i go to, to you with this as well um and kind of piggyback off Brittany here just some of the images um like Brittany kind of um notion to um i was thinking about in the heights when that when that film came out or that musical was out and people were talking about how most of the cast was light skinned, just light skinned and just that not to having that variety not having that mixture so all the different generations can see it and just ways that we can combat that oh in the heights oh my dominican people um as a caribbean girl i am part jamaican part dominican and yeah it was i was not surprised by what i saw in the film adaptation, right? I mean, it's a gorgeous musical, beautiful right. score, et cetera, talented people. But where are the Black people? You go down to the Caribbean, whether you're talking about Cuba, DR, Haiti, uh, Puerto Rico, Jamaica, Barbados, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of Negroes down there. Right, so yeah. Lot, right? But the sort of ways in which folks want to represent Latinidad, or Latinx identity and so on, it's so fraught. So just as Brittany was bringing up colorism as an issue that spans across different racial communities, it also spans across different ethnic communities, right? It's not simply an issue for Black folk in the United States or say Asian folks across the diaspora, like mostly South Asian, you know, our Filipino fam, our Mongolian fam, our Laotian fam, they're dealing with it, right? And Black folk who are also um, Latinx are also dealing with it. And again, just to reiterate what Brittany said, it's, a, it's an evidence of white supremacy. So are Black folk who also speak Spanish marketable? 
when we think of who is Latinx, people think of J-Lo, no shade to her, right? But they don't necessarily right. think of Amara La Negra, right? But mm-hmm. she, she's Latin, Latinx too, right? Uh, and so there are ways in which folks get erased from their own cultural experience. And so again, if, if we can point out, and this is what we try to do in Feminist AF, it's point out the structure because oftentimes colorism is discussed as an interpersonal thing. Oh, you hate me because I'm light-skinned. That right. kind of thing, right? Rather than, no, no, right? That this particular complexion has been privileged in particular kinds of ways, right? And we have to own that based on how close we are to the pyramid of white supremacy, we get treated differently within our own communities. And studies have shown that the fairer you are, the more attractive people of other races think you are, whether it's on a dating app or on a job application. Uh, people believe you in terms of you know, criminal activity, who's thought of as a criminal, who's not thought of as a criminal. So it's not just simply like team light skin team versus team dark skin or something like that that's really basic. It's actually our life experiences, right? And our life possibilities. So we have to expose the structures for what they are, right? Right, absolutely. Chanel, what um what's been your experience with this and um I guess colorism and and um your path to saying, okay, look, there's another way to look at this and we gotta figure out how to start moving through this for different generations. Yeah, I mean, I'm privileged in that I am a darker skinned um girl, but I had a very dark aunt who purposely, I think at this point, as I look back, you know, when the summer would come around, she would put on baby oil and go sunbathing. And I got to see that. So I never actually thought of my brown skin as like a flaw in any kind of way. Like I was surprised when I would meet darker skin girls who did feel like, you know, they wish they would get lighter or trying to hide, you know, from getting darker in the sun. I always thought summertime was something to look forward to so that your darker complexion can come out. And my children and the children in my family are the same way. But that's the power of a, of aunties. I think a lot of us don't really, um, I think all of us have experiences with the auntie or a big cousin or someone in our lives that we were watching that was like right. purposely doing things that that kind of made us a little more radical. Um, but I would say we put this chapter in the book because it hurts Black girls. This is, this is an area of pain for so many of us. And to, I mean, we really practice the politics of meeting them where they are and, and they're, they're hurt. By this, And so whatever we can do to offer them some uh, comfort here, like don't internalize those messages, but also to say something to our light skinned sisters about how you should navigate this. You don't really want that kind of credit, right? Like guys only like light skinned girls. You don't you don't want that dude who, who's saying that. And so just giving them some tips for like, here's how you support your darker skinned sisters in these moments. For dark girls, here's what we want to tell you. Don't internalize those messages. You look banging in yellow. Like, please know this. Um, and also to say something, you know, back to a lot of people try to say this whole thing about preferences. Oh, it's just my preference. And, and to just kind of, well, let's, let's contextualize preferences even. What you prefer is not just something you, you pop out the womb like, I have a preference for light skin. No, it's the images that get reflected back to you of yep. what is you're told are, is beautiful. And so we just kind of try to, you know, contextualize all of this, but really we wrote this because we love black girls, all of them. We love brown girls and we wanted them, you know, so much of the book is about, I see you sis, right? It's just a, it's just the ethics of us just constantly saying like, I see you. And I think we think that is powerful 
enough to just say you are seen in this moment and I know that this is messed up and it hurts and here's some words of advice that we have for you with this yeah absolutely and I just feel like you could just go I feel like we could keep going like on and on because there was so many different topics and so many layers to this um but like you guys like you ladies are saying it's such about it's about a community of you know, coming together and and saying, I see you. And another thing I want to talk about that you guys said, I see you too, that I thought was very important was black moms. I thought that was, so I'm not a mom, but I know I would not be where I am right now without my mom. But when you talk about media, when you talk about sometimes just people in general talking and what they think black families are like, or what they think black moms are like, sometimes they want to blame everything on them, right? That you guys talk about or say that, you know, they were bad in a certain type of way because of stuff they had to deal with you know, or just acting or just being as strong as they are. And sometimes people take that for something else. So what um, I kind of want you ladies to kind of speak on that a little bit as we kind of wrap here. Like, why was that an important chapter to kind of get in for everybody to, to, to hear about? And I can kind of, it's easier. Chanel, do you want to, you want to kick it off? I didn't know if I, if it's easier for me to kind of ask when you guys go first. I think Brittany unmuted. What, what were you going to say, Brittany? And I can follow up. No, I was going to say, you're the black mama of this team, so you should be. (laughs) You were about to talk to me. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm a black mother. I am partnered. I was raised by a single black mother. Um, I did spend, you know, a portion of my childhood on welfare. And I just think that, you know, black mothers get so much smoke. Like anything that is wrong in the black community, we find a way to blame the black mother, even down to when celebrities you know, are beefing about child support, the amount of like, oh, she getting too much money. Meanwhile, no one's saying anything about the amount of money this right. makes in general, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. just, so I, I think we got a little, I, I think that we needed to ride for them because if not us, then who? And so much of Black feminism is rooted in Black motherhood. Like, we don't do that here. And so we just needed a place to, to just, look, we're going to put some rules down on here. We are not doing that here with Black mothers. And so we want to stop you right in your tracks while you 12, 13, 14, 15, before you try it. You can be mad at your mama, fine. But what you don't, what we don't want you doing is giving her, you know, all the smoke for all the ills that are going on in your world. No, like a lot of this is structural. And so I'm gonna need you to have an analysis of power, which is what feminism gives you before you start blaming your mother for the reason why, you know, your your brother got locked up, right? If she right. was home or if she did X, Y, and Z. And so we just were like, we're not having that. Like it, it bothers us to our core that the, the, the people who get blamed the most in society are, are Black mothers, you know? that That's just too much for us. And so- we yeah we ride for them not just because that we're we're I'm a black mother but because we were raised by black mamas who were doing the best they they could they could in some really fucked up circumstances to be honest right right yeah definitely shout out to all the black mamas yeah I really appreciated that that chapter and you know it caught me by surprise and it shouldn't catch me by surprise because we should like you said there should be more spotlight put on that um and you know just the, the frame of the frame of thinking that you you know you may not have realized that you had when it came to black moms so I just think I just mm-hmm. thought that was a really important chapter is that why it caught you by surprise I'm curious to hear more yeah because I I think and like I said I know I wouldn't have any of my like she helped me do my finances right you know like it was no joke when it came to school so everything was lined up and you don't think about like just just 
um, you know, we always go back to media and the images we see and just people in general talking about, well, you know, my mom made me do this or she didn't understand mm-hmm. this, but you don't know, like as a black woman, what you're having to deal with. And then you put kids into that situation of having to get them through, like, you know, some of the stuff they're going to face and just like, just, you know, racism in general, maybe it's not equal pay in some companies, you know, just all the things that are going to hit them and having to like raise that and bring that into where you don't think about till you get older or somebody brings it out in yeah. feminist AF. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right, ladies, you got to tell us coming out any, or by, first of all, any last thoughts, anybody want to kind of throw as we kind of wrap up here, but you know, tell us about, I know it's coming out this month, but how can everybody get their hands on feminist AF? Coming out tomorrow. So Woo! tomorrow there you is go, the last day, October 5th. Um, so depending on when y'all are listening to it, it will be out. So Yeah, it will be out. Yeah, uh, by the time you guys you listen to this, go get it. Go get it. So you can go to feministaf.co, so .co, not .com, feministaf.co. Uh, you can get it at Amazon. You can go to your local independent bookstore and order it. It may be on the shelf. It'll be at Target. It'll be at all the places. Uh, at your local library, you know, all those spots. So definitely, you know, hit us up, buy a copy for yourself, send a copy as a gift. We out Um, here. And join us on tour. Uh, We are, you know, out on tour for the month of October. Uh, We'll be doing several dates in New York. We'll be doing a few dates in California, Southern California, some virtual um, pieces in, um, in Northern Cal, out of the Bay Area, and also virtually in Maryland and and we'll be doing a really cool block party in ATL at Emory which felt appropriate because that's where we all met and came to know each other um, and where so much of this work was born uh, so check out our tour schedule it's posted all over our IG it's you know at definitely at feministaf.co um, and so come through check us out you know talk to us about the book get a signed copy uh, we would love to see you yeah y'all I'm telling y'all y'all are not finished taking notes I read this whole book and y'all are not finished like I could have just kept on like asking questions writing down but you know they got things to do they got to go educate people <laughs> Susanna <laughs> Chanel Brittany thank you guys so much I appreciate it thank oh, you thank, thank you for having you. us we appreciate the love and you guys again go check it out right now by the time this drops you can get Feminist AF check it out catch them on tour the Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.